Well, good morning, church. How you doing? So this morning, we begin a new series, and it is the book of Acts. And there's a couple reasons for why we're going to the book of Acts right now. So I've wanted to, to take us here for quite a while now, and my two reasons for doing it now is this. We just ended our time coming off of 1 John, and in 1 John, we get John's take, his, his distilled download of the core message of Jesus. And so by jumping into the book of Acts, you and I get to see where the early church, how they respond to that message, where they go with that message. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is that our children's ministry is also exploring the book of Acts over these next 12 weeks. So if you have from little ones all the way up to fourth grade, they will be in in the same scripture passages that you and I will be in. So I want to create some synergy for us. So when you leave church and, and you talk to your kid and you say, hey, what did you learn in Sunday school? And they start talking to you about Philip and the official from Ethiopia. And if you didn't grow up in church and you have no idea what they're talking about, or if you did grow up in church, but you're like, I don't remember the details of that story. Well, now you will, because we'll talk about the same story here. So in your bulletin is this postcard, and as always, this postcard really is your roadmap to these next 12 weeks. Lays out the the scriptures that we'll look at as we navigate the book of Acts over these next handful of months. If you want to go a step farther with us, we are going to continue our Monday, Wednesday, Friday emails that we started for 1 John. So for anybody not familiar with our Monday, Wednesday, Friday email, it's an email that we send out three times a week. On Monday, we simply send you the scripture that we'll look at during our conversation here on Sunday, and we invite you to read that scripture, to go slow with that scripture, to read that a couple of times, to read that prayerfully. Then on on Wednesday, we send you some some context to help you understand what you're reading. And then on Friday, we actually bring you some questions, some application questions that come out of the passage that we'll hopefully wrestle with during our time together on a Sunday morning. So we will continue with those emails. So let me give you an on-ramp here. If you want to get in on our Monday, Wednesday, Friday emails, and you are not currently receiving those, Just send me an email. My email address is there on the screen. You don't have to write anything to me. Just simply put in the subject line of that email the word Acts. And if you do that, we will get you on that list. If you are already getting our our first John emails, if you are receiving those and you want to receive the Acts emails, you don't have to do anything. You're already on our list. And if you want out, if, if, if you're like, just stop with these emails, it's too much. And I told you before we started, I said, I do not want to spam you. But if you're like, listen, I'm getting these emails from MBIC on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. It's just too much. This is your chance to get off this train. So, so feel free to send me, again, address is there. Subject line, simply write stop. This is a no judgment zone. You are not going to hurt my feelings 
So if you want to get out of receiving these emails, that's cool with me. One of the things that I attempt to accomplish in this first conversation that we have when it comes to any book of the Bible is I want to give you the backstory. I want to give you what is happening, what has happened, what are we about to see. And as we sometimes do, I want to, I want to show you the video that the Bible Project has put together for the book of Acts. And again, I show you these videos because it, it is an excellent resource for your own life. If you're reading the Bible and you're in the book of Leviticus or in the book of Nehemiah or Ecclesiastes and you're thinking, what is going on here? You can go to thebibleproject.com and they've got videos for every book of the Bible. It is an awesome resource for you, your family, and again, that can be found at thebibleproject.com. So a fantastic resource, but I also give these to us because they do such a great job in helping us understand backstory, big picture, key messages of the scripture that we're going to look at. And so let's watch this video about the book of Acts. It's just over eight minutes on the first 12 chapters. Can we have the video? The book of Acts. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day.
And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people, and then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. This video is just going to focus on the first half of the book. So the Jerusalem-focused section begins with Jesus' followers waiting until the Feast of Pentecost when all of these Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world were in the city. And the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples as a great wind, and something like flames appear over each person's head, and together they start announcing and telling stories of God's mighty deeds. And they're speaking in all of these languages that they didn't know before, but all the people gathered there understand perfectly. Now, in order to see what Luke's emphasizing in this story, it's crucial to see the Old Testament roots of all of these images. So first, the wind and the fire is a direct allusion to the stories about God's glorious fiery presence filling the tabernacle and the temple. And it's also connected to the prophetic promises that God would come and live by his spirit in the new temple of the messianic kingdom. And so here in Acts, God's fiery presence comes to dwell not in a building, but in his people. Luke is saying that the new temple promised by the prophets is Jesus' new covenant family, the people of Jesus, which connects to the second thing Luke is trying to say here. So the prophets promised that when God came to dwell in his new temple, he would reunify all the tribes of Israel under the Messianic king, and that the good news of God's reign would go out and be announced to the nations. Luke describes in detail the international multi-tribe makeup of all of the Israelites who were there at Pentecost and who responded to Peter's message. And so the apostles keep calling Israelites to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah, and thousands upon thousands respond, forming new communities of generosity and worship and celebration. But not everybody's celebrating. From here, Luke shows how Jesus' new family quickly faced hostility from the Jerusalem leaders. With a really beautiful symmetrical design, Luke tells a tale of two temples. So God's new temple, the community of Jesus' followers, they're gathering every day in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, in between those notices are two stories about Peter and the other apostles healing people in the temple courts, only to get arrested by the temple leaders, followed each time by a speech of Peter claiming that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And at the center of all this is a story about Jesus' followers donating property and possessions to a common fund to help the poor which is really cool, but it seems kind of random for Luke to mention it here, until you realize that this was a practice described in the laws of the Torah and was supposed to be happening through the Jerusalem temple and its leaders. So Luke's point here is clear. The new temple of Jesus' community is fulfilling the purpose that God always intended for the Jerusalem temple, to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. And this conflict between the two temples, it culminates in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's the first wave of persecution. So Jesus' followers, they continue to multiply, requiring more leaders. And one of these, Stephen, he's a bold witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. And he ends up getting arrested, and he's accused of speaking against and even threatening the temple. And so Stephen here gives a long speech showing how Israel's leaders have always rejected the messengers God sent them, including Jesus and now his disciples. 
So the Jerusalem leaders are enraged. They murder Stephen, and they launch a wave of persecution against Jesus' followers that drives most of them from the city. But it has a paradoxical effect. Luke shows how this tragedy actually became the means by which Jesus' people are now sent out into Judea and Samaria. Now, in this section, Luke has collected a diverse group of stories that all show how the mostly Jewish, Jerusalem-based community of Jesus became a multi-ethnic international movement. So first is the mission of Philip into Samaria. It's the land of Israel's hated enemies, and many of them come to follow Jesus. Next, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. He was the sworn enemy and persecutor of Jesus' followers until he personally met the risen Jesus, and he then became a passionate advocate on behalf of Jesus. Next is the story of Peter having a vision about how God doesn't consider non-Jewish people ritually impure or unworthy of joining Jesus' family. And so Peter, he's led by the Spirit into the house of a Roman soldier, just full of non-Jewish people, and they all respond to the good news about Jesus. In fact, the Spirit shows up powerfully upon them, just as he did to the Jewish disciples back in chapter 2. These themes all come together in the founding of the church in Antioch, the largest, most cosmopolitan city in that part of the Roman Empire. And Luke, he tells us that Barnabas, a Jewish leader from the Jerusalem church, went along with Paul to help lead this church community. And so it became the first large multi-ethnic church in history. It was where Jesus' followers were called Christians for the first time. And it's from here that the first international missionaries were sent out. And so we see Jesus' commission coming true, and this takes us into the rest of Luke's story. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Acts. So there's a lot for us there, and we will get to that in due time. But for this morning, I want to play off a line that we heard in the video, and it's this. The only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Holy Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. And so this morning, we are going to actually start with chapter 2. And there we we see the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus in chapter 1. We see the Spirit fall in a very unique way on a group of people. And so this morning as we jump into Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read a large part of what's there. But as we read, I've got two questions for us that will come back to you that I want you to help me answer. First question is this, how does the Holy Spirit move in Acts 2? Simply, what what does the Spirit do or what does the Spirit cause to happen? So that's the first question we're going to answer when we come back. The second question is, how do the people in Acts 2, how do they respond? How do they respond to the Spirit's move? So as we read, watch for the answers to these two questions because I'm going to come back and need your help to answer these. This morning we're in Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Here's what we see there. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability." 
So Jews from all over the known world are in Jerusalem and, and, and they hear this commotion and as people come running, they hear these believers speaking in, in these different languages from across the world and these people ask, what is going on? We know that you guys don't have Rosetta Stone, a dad joke. How can this be happening? And so Peter steps up because the, the, the working theory is that these guys have had too much to drink. And so Peter steps up to say, no, no, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jumping back into verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that Jesus has made, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Okay, so a lot there for us 
So let's take a look at that. Let's pull that apart to see what's there. And let's do that by going back to those questions that I asked you. Right, so, so what does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Holy Spirit move in Acts chapter 2? What does the Holy Spirit cause to happen? What did you see? I'm going to need your help on this. We haven't done this for a while. I'm going to need your help here. Speak in tongues is there. What else? Just that one thing or are we all super shy this morning? Generosity is there. Knowledge is there. That's there. Understanding language is there. Right? So, so there's a lot going on. And again, we're wanting to focus in on what is the Spirit doing here. And so if we take what we just said and we kind of summarize that at a high level, I've got this slide for us. The Spirit is filling these believers. We see that in verses 1 through 4. The Spirit is empowering the sharing of the good news, the gospel. We see that in verses 22 through 40. And we see the Spirit growing this community of believers. We see that in in that last handful of verses, verses 41 through 47. So the Spirit is moving, leading in all of these areas. Right, so now if we hop to that next question, and we started to answer this one already, how do the people in Acts 2 respond to the Spirit? What do they do? Generosity. That's right, right? So they step up, they are bold, they are confident. It's actually the answer to this question. What else? There's baptisms there. There's something over here? Right. The, the, the word of, of God, Peter's preaching, pierced these, these, these folks. They pierced their hearts. Anything else? What's that? I still don't hear you. That's right. They sold their possessions. Super generous. They gathered. So of these answers that we're cataloging right now, does any of this happen without the Spirit moving first? I don't think it does. If you remember back to these followers of Jesus, right, that we just read about, over the prior two months, they have been on a roller coaster journey. Right, so they are, are with Jesus, and, and as they, they enter into Jerusalem, Jesus is being hailed as a king, and then later that same week, things take a very dark turn, and, and Jesus is crucified. Everything that these disciples were building their world upon, the bottom absolutely drops out of their world. They don't know what to do, they're crushed. They're terrified. And then against all hope, Jesus is back. And these disciples, their mind goes to, okay, now it's time to get political. And Jesus says, nope, keeps talking about this Holy Spirit, tells them that they're to go back into the city of Jerusalem and wait. Are any of us good at waiting? I know I'm not. Go back into the city and wait, and then he leaves them again. 
And so these followers of Christ, they do exactly that. They wait, but they don't even have a box for what is about to happen, for what we see happening, what we just read about in, in, in chapter 2. And it's not like they go out and they grab like a Stephen Covey course on how to influence the masses and build community. And these people that Peter addresses, Peter says to them, he calls them out, you crucified this Jesus who God made to be Lord and Messiah. There is a huge potential here for this thing to get ugly quick, for these people to turn on these followers, but that's not what happens. Why? It's because the Spirit is on the move. So let me go back to, to the, our answers to one of those prior questions. Right, if we go back to that slide, is the Spirit still doing this stuff today? The answer is he absolutely is. So if the Holy Spirit is still doing what he is doing in Acts chapter 2, and we talked about how, how these people in Acts chapter 2 responded. If the Spirit is still doing what he was up to in Acts chapter 2 today, the question becomes, how will you respond? Because the reality is that the people in Acts chapter 2, they are no longer around. So now it's up to us. Now it's up to you. And so for me, the question that I ask myself and the question that I'll ask all of us is, how would you gauge your ability? If what we just said is true, how would you gauge your ability to sense and to respond to the Holy Spirit? I'm asking this question to you personally. I'm asking this question of us corporately as a church. I'm asking this question in my own life. I'm asking this question to myself. So, so to answer this question, if you had to put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, right? 10 being the Holy Spirit and I are tight. Like, like I, I can sense when he's moving in my life, through my life, around my life. And on the other end of that scale is a 1. You have no idea what I'm talking about this morning. On this scale of, of, of 10 to 1, where do you put yourself? Now, don't tell me your answer, but answer the question. Where do you put yourself? How would you gauge your ability to sense and respond to the Holy Spirit? I don't want you to tell me where you put yourself, but let me ask you this. How many of us want to grow in that area? Like if you put yourself at a three, you want to be a five or a six or a seven or beyond. If that's you, can I see your hand and can you hold it up for me? And I want you to look around. Most of us have our hands up this morning. So what's that mean for us? It gives us something to work on. That gives us something to look at as we, as we spend these next 12 weeks in the book of Acts. Because that's where I'm at too. More and more in my life. For us as a church, it's what I want for you. For me, I want, to, I want to better sense and respond to the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is important. Because if the Holy Spirit is still doing those things today, if I could have that next slide. If the Spirit is still filling, if the Spirit is still empowering, if the, the Spirit is still growing this community of believers, 
if the Spirit is still inviting you and I to respond to, to the way that he is moving in us and through us, because the Spirit is still doing these things, the thing that you have to know is that, is that even though the book of Acts ends in chapter 28, the story is still continuing. And guess what? The story is still continuing in you and through you. The story continues with you. Here's how John Stott, who was a pastor and a theologian, says it. He writes, The records of these acts of the Holy Spirit have have never reached completeness. This is the one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God, and that's you and I, will reinstate the Holy Spirit and his holy seat of control. The Holy Spirit is inviting you into a journey. A journey that we'll, we'll begin to discover, catch a glimpse of within the book of Acts. A journey that is his invitation to respond to him. A journey that is going to include him inviting you to give him the spirit control of your life. So what will we as a church do with that invitation? What will you do with that invitation? Let's pray. Father, with that question, each one of us have to make the call of where we are at in this. That you are still on the move, you are still filling, you are still empowering, you are still growing this community, you are are still inviting us to journey with you. May we answer that with a yes and a yes and a yes that we might see you and sense you and respond to you in full obedience. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.